God is strong, and he wants you strong. So take everything the Master has set out for you. Well-made weapons of the best materials, and put them to use, so you will be able to stand up to everything the Devil throws your way. Yes, stand, truth banded around your waist, righteousness as the protective armor that covers your heart, and standing with feet protected and alert, always ready to share the blessings of peace. At all times, carry faith as a shield, for it is able to extinguish the blazing arrows coming at you from the evil one. And embrace the power of salvation's full deliverance, like a helmet to protect your thoughts from lies. Finally, take the mighty, razor-sharp spirit sword of the Word of God. So, put on God's armor now, fight to the end, hold your ground, and rise victorious. Welcome everybody to our weekend service. Before we get started, I have two things for you. The first is to remind you about our great opportunity called the Christmas box. Our team has put together this very unique box that we would love for you to have for your family, for your friends. And if you'll do that, we'll give you a free box that you can then give to someone else. They're $20, you get a free one then to give to someone else. There are five little gifts in here that are very unique. Um, they taste good. One of them does. There's a craft in here. A couple other things I won't tell you about. But the fifth gift is the best gift of all. It is the story of Christmas. And so I want to encourage you to think about the people that might be blessed to have this and to, to be able to open it and get to that story, that beautiful story about why Jesus came into this world. It's a great gift to give somebody who may right now believe in God but haven't really given their lives yet to God or are wondering who God really is. It's a fun way for them to enjoy Christmas. Five little gifts in this box. They open one up each day whenever they choose in December. You can purchase as many of these as you want for $20 each and get them out. So if you'd like to have more information, all you have to do is go to our website, wiltdale.org slash the Christmas box, and all the order information is there. I know Marsha and I are gonna do this. Hope you will as well. That's the first thing, all right? The second thing, the second thing that I want you to do is I want you to take a moment, just about 20 seconds or so right now before we start, and I want you to ask God what he wants to say to you today. So let's pray, and you be still. Dear God, you hear our prayers. We want to hear from you today. We need to hear from you today. So in the course of this message, Lord, may the Holy Spirit speak to my heart and our hearts. Give us one thing, God, please, today. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, be waiting and listening now for the Holy Spirit to speak to you. I want to start out, though, by talking to you about something that we hear about all the time, but we have a tendency to ignore, and that is the whole issue of skin cancer. I don't know if you're aware of this or not, but skin cancer is prevalent throughout the entire world. More cases of skin cancer than any other type of cancer. And in fact, in the U.S., more skin cancer will be diagnosed than all the other cancers combined. In fact, one out of five adults will have some form of skin cancer before they're the age of 70 right here in our own country. 
as well, we've discovered that, you know, if you get sunburned severely five times in your life, you have twice the chance of getting melanoma as a result of that. In the United States, every day, in fact, every hour in the United States, two people die from skin cancer. Most of it caused by the harmful rays of the sun and those tanning beds. Now that's the bad news. Here's the good news. Skin cancer caused by those harsh rays of sun can be prevented by this wonderful thing called sunscreen. In fact, if you were to take a tube of sunscreen that was, let's say, 30 SPF, and put it on whatever exposed skin you have, it would block out about 97% of those harmful rays. Sunscreen is cool stuff. Sunscreen is like this invisible shield that you put on. And what it does is it absorbs or deflects away from your body those harmful rays that the sun is sending your way. Now, some of you are thinking to yourself, why are you talking to us about sunscreen. What's God going to say to me, you know, through your description of sunscreen and skin cancer? We're about ready to move into the dead of winter in Minnesota. What's going on, Pastor? Well, the reason I'm telling you about that is because Paul wants to talk to us about a different kind of force field that we can put over our lives to deflect and protect us from the evil rays or the fiery arrows that Satan sends our way. All you have to do is turn to Ephesians chapter 6 and look what he says. He says, in addition to all of these, hold up the shield of faith to stop the fiery arrows of the devil. To stop the fiery arrows of the devil. Now, when Paul wrote these words... He was studying the Roman soldier. He was looking at all of the armament that the, that the soldier had. And his focus was on the shield of the soldier. It was called the scuta. And it was not like this one. This is called a parma. And we're actually going to talk about this in the very last message of our series. But the scuta was a cylindrical shield. It was long. It went from about the uh, head to around below the knees. It was made out of wood, crisscross patterns layered together. And then on the edges, it was bound together by brass or by leather. It was actually lightweight and they could take it on long treks if they needed to. But it wasn't always used in every battle. Most of the time, it was used when they were besieging a well-fortified city. You know, the kind with the, the enemies up on the walls, you're below coming in. And they would literally take these shields and form like a human tank. And I've got a demonstration of it for you on this little video clip here. You see how they're covering the top, they're covering around the sides, and they're moving towards the enemy. It was a great tool to use because on top what you have are people who are wrapping their arrows in rags, dipping them in pitch, setting them on fire, and launching them at you. So what you end up with are these flaming missiles coming your way. You've got to have those shields on top. You've got to have those shields around. So what would happen is those arrows would hit the shields and be either deflected away or the shield would absorb that arrow and they would normally soak their shields in the water before they went. If they couldn't get to the water. The shields were built in such a way that the arrow tip would get caught between the gaps of the layers of wood and suffocate out the flame. 
So it was a very necessary and important tool to have in their hands, especially when besieging a well-fortified city. Now, the big idea that Paul has for us in this passage of Scripture is just as that shield protected that soldier, look at this. Paul tells us that the force field of faith can deliver us from the potentially penetrating arrows of defeat that the evil one wants to send our way. Now, I think Paul had in mind three kinds of arrows that the enemy launches at us. We're going to look at two this weekend. And then in our final message, I want on our series, I want to look at a different kind of arrow. And we'll also be talking about that Parma shield in that message as well. But I want to look at two specifically with you today. And so the first way that we need to lift up the shield of faith is to protect ourselves from the arrows of, of suffering. We are to lift up the shield of faith to defeat the fiery arrows of suffering. Now, speaking of suffering, the early Christians faced a lot of it. They suffered in so many ways. You know, some of them lost their jobs because they became a Christian. Some of them lost their businesses because they became a Christian. They were boycotted. No one would buy anything from them. Others were tortured, jailed, and even martyred for their faith in Jesus Christ. Now, sometimes we think that that was really long ago, but it's still happening to this very day. I have met men and women. I've heard their stories. I've seen the pictures. I've seen the scars. I've heard about the loved ones who have died in the faith for Christ because they were persecuted by fellow villagers or by the government as a result of that. In fact, I just heard the story of a gentleman that we as a church actually have helped to train in our work with TTI. I've had the opportunity to train him and he at one time was a persecutor of the church. Then he came to faith in Christ, began to actually plant churches. His family had a wonderful business making blankets, and they lost that business because the villagers said, if you're going to become a Christian, we're not going to buy from you. And I'm actually hoping, if I get permission, to share the video story that he tells. It's very powerful. Suffering has a way of affecting our lives. Suffering has a way of causing us to question God and sometimes to doubt our faith. And if you want to talk to somebody about suffering, then you should talk to the expert on suffering in the Bible. His name was Job. You know, when we first meet Job, everything is going great in his life. He is a man of God. He has this wonderful family. He's a tremendous businessman. He's wealthy, successful. He's generous. I mean, he's got it all. And the next day, it's gone. I mean, everyone and everything is gone, except his wife, who in her bitterness says to her husband, Job, why don't you just curse God and die? To make matters worse, Job was covered all over his body by painful boils. Now, you might think to yourself, could it get any worse than that? And the answer to the question is, yes, it did. He had some friends, okay, who came to give him comfort, but they didn't do that. After they sat with him for a while, they turned on him and they confronted him and they said, Job, the only reason this is happening to you 
is there must be some unconfessed sin in your life, something evil, something unrighteous. And, and so God is punishing you until, you until you fess up to what's going on in your life. And Job says, I've searched my heart. There's nothing in me that would cause this to happen. And in fact, in Job chapter 1, I think it's about verse 8, God even says that Job was a blameless person. So Job is just racking his mind. Why is this happening to me? He doesn't have the backstory to his suffering. And a lot of times, we don't have the backstory to our suffering either, do we? So what was the backstory? Well, we learn in Job chapter 1 that the accuser has come before God. And the accuser has said to God, you know, Joseph, I'm sorry, Job is only faithful to you. He's only living a righteous life because you bless him. Take away your blessings from Job and he'll curse you to your face. You know, somebody has said that we use things and serve God. Somebody else says a hypocrite is somebody who uses God and serves things. And so the contest was to find out is Job using God and serving things or is he serving God and using the things that God has given to him? The accuser is allowed to fire that arrow of suffering into Job's life. He means to bring Job down, but God uses it instead to refine Job's life. Now Job comes close to cursing God, but he never does. He rants and he raves at God gets angry with God. He demands evidence for why this is happening in his life. And at the end of the book of Job, when he finally, when he finally sees the majesty of God revealed and God questions him, all of a sudden Job realizes the pride that's in his life. He realizes that in view of God's greatness and God's majesty, his suffering is really nothing at all. And God restores Job beyond where he was before his suffering ever began. Now you might be thinking to yourself, okay, so what does that have to do with my suffering, the suffering that I'm going through? Well, let's be honest. All of us, to some degree, experience some type of suffering in our lives. And sometimes that suffering is intense. If we're honest, we want to yell at God. We want to get angry with God. We wonder if God is there, if God even cares about us. Like when you lose somebody you love, a child or a spouse, or when you get some kind of progressive disease that just takes over your body and racks you with pain, or when a marriage goes south or a child rebels, you lose your job. The arrows of suffering affect us all in different degrees. And it's in those moments that we've got to lift up that shield of faith. But before we talk about what the shield of faith is, I want us to look at a different kind of arrow that sometimes gets fired at us. And that arrow I'm going to describe as the arrow of failure. We need to lift up the shield of faith to defeat the fiery arrows of failure. Now, if you want to talk to an expert on failure, all you've got to do is go to the Bible and talk to Peter. Peter knew all about it. You know, as, as Peter went through his life, he experienced some different types of failure. One of the ways that Peter experienced failure was 
in an unrealized dream. You say, what do you mean by that? Well, like all the disciples, Peter had kind of a dream of what it would mean to follow Jesus. When he signed on to follow Jesus, the expectation was that he was going to follow Jesus up the ladder of success. That a day was coming when people would not stream to Rome to see Caesar. They would stream to Jerusalem to see King Jesus. And Peter would be right there in, in the cabinet of Jesus, maybe the vice president. Jesus has such power in his words and his teaching. He could do miracles. He could deliver people from demons. He could heal people of sicknesses. He could, he could feed people, thousands and thousands of people, with just a little bit of bread and some fish. He could raise the dead. Certainly he was the political Messiah Israel had been expecting. It was going to be a new day. This was a dream come true from a very regular guy who was a fisherman up in Galilee. But then Jesus started talking about the fact that a day was coming when he was going to die as a criminal on the cross. That that was the road to true success. And that anybody who followed him must be willing to die as well. I mean, for Peter, this did not look like success. This looked like a dream that was going to end in failure. There's nothing wrong with dreaming. I'm sure you've had dreams and goals and visions for your life as well. There's nothing wrong with big dreams and big goals and big vision. There's nothing wrong about dreaming to do things that will honor God, that will be for God's glory. But let's be honest, there are sometimes those dreams and visions that we have for our lives, for our kids, for our church, fail to materialize. When that happens... It can feel so defeating. It can seem so discouraging when you don't realize your dreams. You've probably heard the story of Bethany Hamilton. It's been written, it's been made into a movie. She had a dream of being a great surfer. And she started out as a toddler surfing, can you imagine? At eight years of age, she was actually in competition. And then at the age of 13, the most terrible thing happened. A 14-foot tiger shark bit off a piece of her board and a piece of her arm. Here's a picture of Bethany standing there with that chunk missing and her arm gone. Can you imagine as a young person how you might feel having that happen to you? You had all these visions and dreams of being this great surfer, of having a, quote, normal life. And now all of a sudden, part of your body is gone. And as a believer in God, you would think that that would just rack her mind. Why would God allow something like this to happen as a parent? Why would God allow something like this to happen to my kid? But I want you to listen to what Bethany says. And I want to read you something that she wrote. Listen to her. I would never take back anything I have gone through. I would never take back losing my arm because I know God allowed me to go through something like this to be able to share the message of hope in Him. I look back at my life now and I'm just in awe that God can take a little girl from a tiny island in Hawaii and use my story all over the world to reach so many people. How? How does she do that? 
how did Bethany, how did she overcome that? She held up the shield of faith. That's how. He said, okay, what is this shield of faith? Well, I want to share with you how Tim Keller describes it. He says, faith is looking. The Bible says we walk by faith, not by sight. That means we see him who is unseen by faith. Faith is looking at God instead of at the trial. See, one of the challenges some of us are facing right now is we are staring right at our trial. And it intimidates us. Maybe it infuriates us. Faith is looking past the trial, looking past the surfboard that's been bitten, looking past the missing arm. Faith is looking at God instead of at the trial. Faith is remembering God. Faith is bringing to bear the reality of who God is in your situation. That's what Job had to do. He had to realize who God is in his situation. Peter had to realize who God is in his situation. You and I have got to realize who God is in our situation. Looking at God, not looking at yourself, looking at him and reminding yourself of who he is, that's the shield of faith. That's the shield of faith. Bethany was able to look beyond the tragedy and see God. Now, when you have a movie made about your life and books written about it, you get to travel the world telling your story, kind of makes it a little bit easier to deal with. But most of us will probably never have a book written about our suffering or a movie made about it. And we may never get to go and share around the world what happened to us and how God saw us through. But God can still use what's going on in your life right now if you'll see him past your suffering. I came across a story about a missionary, a medical missionary, Dr. William Leslie, who in 1912 went into the Congo. And he went deep into the Congo, the Democratic Republic of the Congo. And there he began to use his medical skills to minister to the natives there. After 17 years, he came home. And he came home a defeated man. Because he felt like he had spent all those years there and hadn't made a difference. He'd taken care of people. He planted the seeds of the gospel. But he didn't really have anything to show for. And nine years after coming home, he died. He died in that despair. In the year 2010, a couple of missionaries went into the DRC to do some extensive research. They went deep, deep into the jungle, beyond the rivers. And there they found, to their amazement, a network of villages with thriving, multiplying churches filled with believers. They wondered, how did this all happen? And as they researched it, they found out that it all started with this guy named Dr. Leslie, who came to a few of their villages, used his medical expertise and taught their children the stories of Jesus and the gospel. And because that seed got planted, over time it got nurtured. They got the word of God. And they began to grow and multiply and plant churches in the villages that were around them. 
You never know how God can take your life and use even the most difficult things in your life to be a testimony to all the people who are watching you and watching me. When they watch us face a trial, can they see us looking beyond our trial to God? Can they see us getting strength from God, hope from God, even joy in the midst of the trial from God? When they do, when they do, it draws them towards God. As a follower of Christ, your suffering, your failures are not in vain. God has a reason for them. And if you lift up that shield of faith and look beyond them, you see God will do remarkable things. And you may not see it right away, but over time, as that person or those persons face trials and difficulties, they'll remember you and they'll look to God. But I want to talk about one more way that Peter failed. See, he not only failed to realize the dreams that he had, but he also failed to live up to his word. When he finally came to grips with the fact that Jesus was going to die, that the way up is down, so to speak. He said, okay, Lord, if you're going to die, if you're going to be crucified, I'm going to die with you. I will die with you. We all know what happened, don't we? Peter made that bold statement, and yet when the opportunity came for him to stand with Jesus, he denied Jesus, not once, not twice, but three times. The Bible says, and after that third time, when he realized what he had done, he went and he wept bitterly. And I try to imagine what it was like for Peter as Jesus hung on that cross. And Peter saw that to realize that Peter, Peter helped put his best friend on the cross. But it's not just Peter who put Jesus on the cross. It's me. It's you. It's all of us. As you sit there in your living room or in your kitchen or wherever you are watching this right now, your sin, my sin, put Christ on the cross. Now, it's important for us to come to grips with that. It's important for us to realize how sinful we are and the consequences of our sin in order to understand the magnificence of God's love and the greatness of His grace. But somewhere in looking at the cross and realizing what a sinner I am, I've got to then look past that I've got to lift up that shield of faith. I've got to see God beyond my sin. I've got to see Jesus beyond my sin. And realize that the cross is not my story. The cross is ultimately not about me. The cross is about God and his love for me.
And so when the accuser comes along and tries to make me feel like God would never love somebody like me, that I have sinned too much, that my sin is the worst sin, that I am the chief of sinners, as Paul said. When the accuser likes to come along and just make you feel like you're of no worth and no value to God, you got to lift up that shield of faith. you got to look past your sin and see the love of God demonstrated through His Son, Jesus, who died your death and my death so we could live his life. Let's pray. With your heads bowed, whether you're at one of our campuses, whether you're at home, what has God said to you today? Remember that prayer that you prayed? What did he say to you today? What's he saying to you right now? Maybe you're down and discouraged. Maybe you're going through some suffering or dealing with unrealized dreams. Or maybe you're dealing with your spiritual failures. Lift up the shield of faith. See God behind it all. Writing the story of his son through your suffering, through your failures. Showing his strength and your weakness. Father God, speak to our hearts. And as we prepare in a few moments to take communion together, I pray, O oh God, that you give us the eyes of faith to see how much you love us and what you did for us. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm going to encourage you now at our campuses to take communion with your campus pastor leading you. Those of you who are watching online with me right now, I hope you have your elements ready for communion. If not, please get them quickly because we're going to celebrate communion together. I want to remind you that communion is a right and a privilege that God has given to those of us who are his followers. If you're watching with us and you haven't yet put your faith in Christ, then I want to challenge you during this time to think about what it is that might be keeping you from trusting Christ. And if there's any way we can help you, just email us here at the church. We'd be happy to talk to you about how to have that living and fresh relationship with God who loves you so much. But if you have your elements together, and I'll grab mine, we are reminded that they are symbols of the life of Christ. The first thing we have is the bread. So if you'll take that bread, and if you're with others, pass the bread, share it. That bread represents the body of Christ that was given for you and for me. Jesus said, this is my body given for you. Take and eat it. Father, we thank you for this bread, reminder of the body of Jesus that hung on that cross and laid in that tomb in our place. And he rose from the dead so we can be sure that his sacrifice was real and accomplished all it was set out to do to take our judgment in exchange, give us forgiveness. Thank you in Jesus' name.
And then the juice, if you have that, the juice represents the blood of Jesus. Jesus said, this is my cup. It's a new covenant in my blood. I make a new covenant with you. My blood for you. As you drink this, Jesus said, remember me. Remember my sacrifice and what I've done for you. Let us partake. Father, we thank you so much for this symbolic meal. By faith, we receive what it means. And by faith, oh God, help us to walk in this victory that you have bought for us. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you guys. We'll see you next weekend.